Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. As always in this podcast, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Sunday's Gospel, as well as Father Brian Barr's homily. Just a reminder that starting in April, Father Brian will be answering your questions in his weekly Q&A segment. To submit a question, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, we never use any names or email addresses in the podcast, so all your questions are anonymous. Until then, here's the gospel from March 19, 2017, the third Sunday of Lent. God bless. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself, with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I, sh- I shall give him, I shall give, will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty. We'll have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. Jesus answered her, You are right in saying, I do not have a husband. For you have had, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand, because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. At that moment, his disciples returned and were amazed at what he was, that he was talking with a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking for? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
When I was uh, in high school, uh, I worked for, uh, actually college as well, I worked for a, for a couple of summers with a uh, landscaper cutting, cutting lawns, mostly in Floral Park, a um, couple, of, couple of in uh, New Hyde Park as well. But we also had a few um, in Garden City. And they were always kind of interesting because uh, they had just these big, huge houses, um, really giant lawns, back backyards, really beautiful. Um, we used to do them all on the same day. We'd go into Garden City and just kind of bang them out. Um, I remember there were two in particular, these two houses we used to, uh, lawns we used to cut in Garden City that I remember. It really wasn't even the... Uh, it was the customers that I remember more than the homes. The homes were similar. They were just, like I said, big, giant lawns. But these two customers couldn't have been more opposite. And they were on the same block. Uh, we'd, go f we'd go to one, and then we'd cross the street and go to the other. The first one, it was this uh, retired guy. They both were retired, both sets of these customers. This guy, just I loved him. He couldn't have been nicer. He, um, every time we were there, he always seemed to be around, always seemed to be home when we were there. And uh, he'd always come out. He'd always make it a, a point to come out and say hello to us. He'd usually come out with a, a couple of uh, bottles of water or Gatorades, and he'd tell us to take a break. Totally would engage us. Um, he was a big Met fan, and he, used to, he knew who I was, so he'd always talk about you know, the previous week, games, and so on. Remember, he always wanted to know. He was asking me what I wanted to do, where I thought I was going to go to college, um, just a really great guy. Couldn't have been more pleasant. And then we crossed the street. Uh, and it was this, this couple. Um, these two old bats were, I'm telling you, they were, I wanted to take the weed whacker to the two of them. Um, they were awful. They were just really, really kind of miserable. Um, they, they, were, they were retired as well, and they were, always seemed to be home. Um, they would never look at you. They'd be on the patio, and you'd see, like you'd meet eyes. And, but they would never acknowledge that they just saw you. They'd always kind of look the other way. They'd be coming out to the car or pulling in from, in from somewhere, and you'd, you know, you'd see them. And they did everything they could to just pretend like you weren't there, except for when... They needed something. Some particular thing needed to be trimmed or weeded or whatever. Uh, or, if, and when they had a complaint, then they made themselves very known and heard. But other than that, it was like, you don't exist. You're, you're the help. You know, don't get in the way. And I don't even really want to see you. Just do your job and kind of, and they never said that, but they totally communicated it. Um, and I know part of this was, it was just the contrast was crazy. Because we'd go from this one guy who couldn't have been more the opposite, couldn't have been nicer. And then, and I'm sure like if you ever worked at a, at a restaurant, if you ever waited, bus tables, or you waited. I mean, you get that um, all the time. You just, you're waiting on one table, couldn't be nicer, doing the same thing for the same people two booths away. And it's like completely different experience. Just interesting the way people see people. When I was uh, in the seminary, we had to take this, uh, I remember taking this philosophy course, so we had to read this book about, uh, it was written by this 
Austrian philosopher. His name was Martin Buber, and he uh, he'd written this book in the early 20s, which was, became kind of a classic and really influenced philosophy and, and theology in the last century. The book was called I and Thou. Um, and he basically said this. It was really kind of simple, but I think true. He said that uh, people relate to others in one of two ways. See if you, see if you buy this. Um, there's two basic ways that we relate to other people, according to this philosopher. He said number one is like this very negative approach, where you just see other people as an object. They're not even people. They're just, they're an object. They're, uh, you measure their worth by what they can do for you, how maybe they can help you or, or serve you. But you never engage them as people. And then the second approach is, well, the opposite. When we see people as people, you relate to them. You engage them. You're concerned about their feelings or their needs or maybe even in some cases their dreams. If you, you, know, if you get closer to a particular person, you see them sort of the way you see yourself. They're not just an object. Anyway, this guy, this became this, you know, again, I, I don't know if we need to read this book to kind of figure those two. All you got to do is cut lawns in Garden City, and you can kind of see the way. Um, but I remember, actually, when I was in the seminary, we had to do this. I had, did, had to do a presentation about that book, and I talked about what I just told you. I talked about those two customers and how one kind of did treat us like we were objects, didn't engage us at all, kept their distance, and then this other guy was just wonderful. Anyway, this guy, this philosopher, he came up with this theory and wrote the book because of an experience that he had years before. He was a, he was a professor in Germany, and um, he's working on his, uh, consumed by this thesis that he's got to get completed. And it was really what he was most passionate about. One day, this student of his comes in, and he's going through this kind of personal crisis. He's really struggling, and he, he's looking for advice. He's looking to talk to this professor. It was World War I, and uh, he was about to be drafted. And he was a uh, pacifist. He wanted to be a conscientious objector, but he was sort of a loyal German, and the thought of other people dying in his place, he was sort of conflicted by that. So he, he didn't know what to do. He was distraught about what he should do. And he went to this guy looking for help, and this professor just pretty much blew him off. He just couldn't be bothered. He was focused on getting his project done, and this guy was just sort of in the way. And he dismissed him. And he finds out a couple of weeks later that this guy committed suicide. Um... I suspect more was going on in this guy's life than, than just that. But he became sort of tormented by the way he treated this guy, like an object. He was just sort of an interruption. He didn't hear him or see him or feel him as a person in need. And he started to reflect on that and felt terrible about it pretty much forever. And he writes this book. And he becomes famous. You know, but he didn't really write the book. He wrote the book, but he didn't really come up with the idea. I mean, 1,800 years before, in the Gospel of John, the very long one I just read to you, 
you get the same thing. The way Jesus treats this woman, he doesn't see her as an object. He doesn't see her as someone to avoid. He sees her as a person. And you've got to stop for a minute and think about who she was, the little we know about her. She is totally alone, this woman is. This woman at the well. If you were a Jew and you saw this woman, because of her religion and because of where she was from, if you were a Jew, she was like a non-person. She was like a virus. You just stayed away. You wouldn't go near her. You certainly wouldn't talk to her. And Jesus does. And she's a woman. And in the time of Jesus, for a for a, a Jewish man to talk to a woman who wasn't his wife pub, in a public never would have happened. And that's exactly what he does. And it gets worse for this woman. Because of her personal life, because of these multiple marriages she's had, I mean, she's sort of like, she's, like, she's scandalous, the life she's lived. And everybody talks about her. She's the source of gossip. So even her own people, the Samaritans, have shunned her. To them, she's radioactive. She's like a leper. She is totally alone, this woman. She's got nobody. Nobody wants anything to do with her except Jesus. Jesus sees this woman, and she's at this well alone in the middle of the day. These little, these little facts to us kind of like, so what? It was at noon. Why did they say noon? People never went to the well at noon because it was really hot at noon. You'd go in the morning and you'd go in the evening. The reason she's there at noon is because she, nobody wants to be around her. If she shows up in the morning or she shows up at, at, at the end of the day, people will walk away from her. So she goes when nobody else is there. Jesus sees this. Jesus knows that. And he walks right over to her. It's interesting. This passage... And it was a long one, right? It's actually the longest recorded conversation of Jesus with anybody in Scripture. This conversation he has, there isn't a bigger one anywhere in the Bible. He doesn't talk more to the, to the apostles. He doesn't talk more to Mary. He doesn't even talk to God the Father at any point in the Gospels more or longer than he does to this woman. You know what's interesting? We don't know, we don't know her name. They chose not to tell us what her name was, which is kind of unusual. Most of the time in Scripture, these encounters, they'll reference the name of the person, or at least often they do. There's such a detailed and extended conversation. The fact that we don't know her name, like what's that about? Well, maybe they just chose not to do it. But the theory is this. It was intentional. Don't give her a name, because if you give her a name, you'll give her an identity. If you give her an identity then you'll see her as different from you. And what they think was this. If you don't give her a name, then we become her. We're supposed to see ourselves in this desperate person. Somebody who's incredibly alone. Somebody who's been forgotten. Somebody who feels incredibly unforgiven. Somebody who does feel radioactive. That's what they say. 
No name means plug in your own. Hey, let's hope we don't always feel that way. But there's times when we do. Sometimes people really do for very long extended periods of time. And the knowledge that if we're her and he walks across to the well to engage us is incredibly hopeful. What's more hopeful than that? To know that I'm not alone. I am not alone. There's nobody he won't see. There's nobody he won't speak to. There's nobody that's off limits with Jesus. And it's interesting and, and, and ironic and, and, and scandalous, really. Because the religion of the day, and sometimes even our religion, does just the opposite. We do make people radioactive. People sort of do become off limits. Certainly in Jesus' day, that was like, that was incorporated into the rules. This person is this way, you stay away. Jesus comes in and flips that over. And says, I am, those days are done. Nobody is off limits. How about this? How about somebody who's let you down? How about, here's a challenge. I mean, the hope is, yeah, when I, when I feel like I'm that woman... When I feel like I have dug such a deep ditch in my life that he's always going to be there, he's always going to walk across, I am never off limits, that is incredibly hopeful. But I think it's also challenging for us. What if there's somebody in our life who we've sort of declared radioactive? And maybe it's for kind of good reason. Because they've been fundamentally disappointing. They broke promises. They betrayed. They should have known better. They should have been there. They know the truth. And they've walked away from it. On some level, they're living a lie. And you can't really get past the hurt. The betrayal. So you see this person the way everybody saw this woman. Well, we have got to be challenged by, well, yeah, but look, look at the way Jesus treated this woman. She wasn't off limits. So this person, maybe in our life, who we've kind of made off limits, you know, we can't really be if we take this gospel for real. And maybe you say, well, that's just, you don't have any idea how uncomfortable that would be to have to go over to the well and talk to this person. That would be remarkably uncomfortable. I know. Sometimes, sometimes that is uncomfortable. Sometimes I think he wants us to be uncomfortable. Sometimes uncomfortable is where we're supposed to be. Because that's where healing happens. We run from uncomfortable. We want to be in our comfort zone. I heard this great, great quote from a, uh, it was a nun in Philadelphia not too long ago. She was... She's done great work in Philly with homeless people and mentally, uh, mentally ill and, and just incredibly poor people in the inner city. She's been acknowledged for it. She spoke at Notre Dame. at the, uh, She gave the commencement address a couple of years ago. 
This is what she said about being uncomfortable or comfort zones. Find your comfort zones and stay away from them for the rest of your lives. That was pretty good. Find your comfort zone and for the rest of your life, stay away from it. This is an amazing gospel. He talks to her when nobody else will. But you know what he also does? He also challenges her. It wasn't just a love fest. He also says to her, look at the life you're living. Five, five husbands and you're with this sixth guy? Like, what's going on? How could you have messed this up so bad? Like, you keep making these mistakes. What are you doing wrong? How do you feel about yourself? Don't you know you're better than this track record? Don't you know you deserve more? Why do you keep lowering yourself? Why do you keep compromising at places that can't be compromised? Come on, lady, get it together. He also challenges her, and she hears it. But you know what came first? The conversation. I think when we challenge people without talking to them first, the challenge never is heard. They just feel judged. But if you speak with them first the way he did, they warm up to you. They realize they're on your side. And then you speak truth in love. You talk about the life you're living and the mistakes you made. But at least we're talking. So we're in the third week of these six of Lent. Look at this gospel this week. Look at it today. Here's two characters. Who are you in this gospel? Well, maybe you feel like you're the woman at the well. And you because you're struggling. And you're overwhelmed and you're feeling particularly alone at this point in your life. Well, you need to hear his words of hope. Remember, she's got no name. It's your name. And he wants the conversation with you and their words of hope. Maybe you're her or him. And if you're not them, then you're on the other side of the well. And you're looking at the person at the well, that person who's struggling. And they need to hear hope from you. They need to hear Jesus' words from you. I think it's all about hope. It's about hearing it, or being it, or both. Thank you for listening to today's show. Once again, Father Brian's Q&A segment starts in April, which is right around the corner. Questions can be emailed to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com. And again, all questions will remain anonymous. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And feel free to share it with your loved ones. We'll be back next week. And until then, God bless.